Hello and welcome to our Wednesday Trashy Divorces, Trashy Breakups edition. My name is Stacy. Hey everybody, I'm Alicia. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are back, as Stacy said, with a Trashy Breakups. Just a song before I go, because you know what? Traveling twice the speed of sound, it's easy to get burned. We're following up on our Sunday up. Yes, you covered Farrah Fawcett and her split from Lee Majors. That was precipitated by hmm. Ryan O'Neill. So I figured this was a great time. Season 13. Let's go ahead and do it. Little bloody lips make out session. Oh, Again, before we get into the demise of Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett, let's go ahead and bring Ryan up to this point in the Trashy Divorces Depot. Makes sense. Okay. Charles Patrick Ryan O'Neill, born April 20, 1941, cusp of power baby, April 20. Ryan's mom is an actress. His dad is a screenwriter and novelist. He's kind of a Hollywood kid through and through. And boxing is really his thing as a teenager. He wants to be a Golden Gloves boxer. That's the dream. But alas, the family will move to Germany. Dad gets a gig, partly writing for Radio Free Europe. Hmm. Kind of fascinating. A little Cold War story there. And Ryan's going to like American school and he doesn't love it. He's not great at school. So mom actress is trying to help Ryan out. She's starring in something, brings Ryan on to be an extra. Being an extra is fun. I think I shall become an actor. All right. So Ryan, when they land back in the States, is going to get a lot of guest spots in the early 1960s, kind of working his way into better roles. In 1964, it is the nighttime serial drama Peyton Place that breaks him out into like big time primetime television. And it's going pretty well, but it is the year before his breakthrough success in 1964, year before 1963 at the age of 22, that I want to talk about because Ryan's going to marry wife number one. Uh. Wife number one is named Joanna Moore. She is from Americus, Georgia. Georgia girl. Kind of a fun thing here. Joanna has an early marriage as a teenager to a guy named Willis Moore, which is how she gets her last name Moore. After the divorce, she is going to go to Agnes Scott College Hmm. right here in Decatur, Georgia. Sure. Right up the road. And it is here in college that she enters and wins a beauty contest and voila, off to Hollywood. Amazing that people got married before college back then. Kind of, as <laughs> we a, don't see that very often. Not it's, so it was much. kind of a reverse. Not a lot of divorcees as incoming freshmen at Agnes Scott these days. <laughs> so Joanna is older than Ryan by like seven years or so. Okay, so okay, she okay. She comes out in the mid fifties. Like Ryan's having his breakthrough in the sixties. She's having her breakthrough in the mid fifties. And Joanna works steadily. Again, a lot of guest roles. Some movie appearances, small but respectable. April 3rd, 1963, these two get hitched. Tatum will come along in November of that same year. A son, Griffin, follows in October of 1964. So inside of 18 months, Ryan O'Neill is married with two kids and also starring in the biggest hit on television. Wow. It's a wild 18 months. It's a lot of life changes. Traveling twice the speed of sound. As you may imagine, it does not go well. The couple will separate in 1966 after three years, after a lot of bad. It's not a great relationship. It looks great for the cameras. They take real pretty pictures together, but it is highly volatile. 
And it is as they separate and the marriage is ending that things begin to go badly for Joanna. She is drinking more and more. She begins using amphetamines and develops a pretty intense habit. So much that by the early 1970s, after some DUIs, multiple arrests, treatment stays, she will lose custody of both kids as well. To Ryan, I'm guessing. Right. This which is, is not, yeah, this is terrible. All very bad. By the time Tatum is 10, Tatum is financially supporting Joanna. This is the late 1970s. Like the back half of Joanna's life is pretty tough. She will die of lung cancer in 1997, but let us get back to a fresh from the divorce, Ryan O'Neill. Because next up for his wives is his co-star in Peyton Place, Lee Taylor Young. They marry in 1967, kind of on a whim. They are both in Hawaii doing a press junket for Peyton Place, and the bigwig manager at ABC is like, I have this real nice beach house. Do you kids want to get married in it? And so they decide they do. The marriage produces one son, Patrick. This marriage will last until 1971. The divorce is done. Now here we're going to go time reversal and back up to the year 1970 and a little film that Ryan makes called Love Story. <laughs> because this is the one that's going to make Ryan O'Neill a movie mm-hmm. star. Yeah. By the time enormous fame comes calling, Ryan's wanting to party and live it up. Be a single guy, play the field. Yeah, in Hollywood, yeah. Which is pretty challenging to do with the wife and child at home. So it's weird to see why it didn't work out with Lee Taylor. Ryan is complimentary to Lee Taylor Young. This is from Leslie Bennett's piece in Vanity Fair, Beautiful People, Ugly Choices. Again, all sources are quoted on TrashyDivorces.com. Ryan says, Lee was nice. She was solid and beautiful and caring. But during that marriage, I made love story. And suddenly I was catapulted. I didn't take anybody with me. I went alone. Now, Lee Taylor Young does retain a lot of good feelings towards Ryan O'Neill. She says she's seen silent goodness in him. There was a time that she hit kind of a rough patch in her life with a lot of medical things, autoimmune things. And she hadn't talked to Ryan in a number of years. She calls him. He says, what do you need? A check is delivered the next morning. And he supports her like in the early 2000s, long after the 30 years after the divorce is done. She'll say the O'Neill family is a difficult family. And there are people who just want to condemn Ryan, but he's not just one person. And I can speak to what he did to save my life. Hmm. So there's something nice about Ryan O'Neill. Right. Before the story gets worse. Few and far between. But no, that's good info because, wow. We try to present a balanced Mm. picture. So this does leave Ryan hanging out at the Trashy Divorces Depot. Twice divorced, three kids just in time for the 70s. And Ryan has some fun. He dates a lot of women. He's going at it alone, but usually with uh, somebody on his arm. Bianca Jagger, Barbara Streisand, Diana Ross, Angelica Houston. Those are the ones we know about. Ryan's getting around. Ryan is also playing some racquetball with Mm -hmm. his good friend, Lee Majors. Yes. And Ryan, sure, man, I'll totally do you a solid bro and take your wife out while you're out of town. Yep. First date bloody lips ensue, 
And from 1979 or so, it is Ryan and Farrah. To be certain, Farrah Fawcett's relationship with Ryan O'Neill was the end of her marriage to Lee Majors. Farrah and Ryan famously go on to have a tumultuous and passionate relationship for the next 30 years until her death in 2009. The couple does not marry, but they do have one son, Redmond, together in 1985. Their relationship is well known in Hollywood circles and through gossip magazines to be on and off and rife with turbulent fighting. Farrah moves in with Ryan and... The kids don't necessarily, because Ryan's got all the kids, Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily like the competition for their father's affection. Ryan has primary custody of Tatum and Griffin, right? Due to Joanna's struggles with addiction. Right. But Ryan is not exactly uh, a fantastic dad. His relationship with his kids is notoriously chaotic and Mm -hmm. even violent at times. So remember, Tatum stars with him in Paper Moon, Wins the Oscar, and that begins youngest Academy Award winner yeah. ever. Like here I am, I've landed in, I've landed in movies. I have my career now. You're ten, and also supporting the first, like first wife. It's her mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I, okay. yeah, no, complicated, and and I, I'm I'm sure that competitive aspect was not improved by the fact that she was an Academy Award winner. As a child. Yeah. Ryan O'Neill is not going to win dad of the year. Yeah. He is preoccupied with his career and Farrah Fawcett. Even before Farrah comes into his life, he's preoccupied with Ursula Andrews, Diana Ross, Barbara. Like, it, yeah. Being a rich, uh, being a famous movie Ryan star. Ryan wanted to go alone. He did. He, yes. He doesn't want to take any Bring baggage. anybody with him. Yeah. And girls and kids are baggage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once Farrah becomes... In the house, actively involved with Ryan, Ryan does seriously begin to neglect his kids, both of whom, Tatum and Griffin, have been very public about their difficult childhoods, alleging both physical and emotional abuse, as well as constant exposure to drugs. Griffin will say, my father gave me cocaine when I was 11 and insisted I take it. Also that Ryan O'Neill was prone to uncontrollable rages. You think the cocaine might have had anything to do with that? Well, Ryan O'Neill, for his part, will not deny his own drug use, but says he doesn't remember giving Griffin cocaine at 11. Here's the quote. You're really going to like it. I didn't share my cocaine with anyone. You know the prices. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. I think the kid has the upper hand on this one. Tatum will say when I was 16, he and Farrah moved in together. And after that, I saw my dad periodically. And that took a long time for me to get over. Would I do that to my kids? No. But I don't think Pharaoh was responsible for that. I truly thought Pharaoh was inspirational and beautiful and kind. Anyway, it's past. I've moved on. Tatum O'Neill has done extraordinary work in Mm -hmm. finding love as an answer in dealing with the terribly difficult O'Neill family. Tatum O'Neill will say, though, that her father was physically abusive to Pharaoh. During their relationship, again, Ryan O'Neill denies this claim. Now, at this time, at least on the surface, Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett seem like an ideal couple. They look and act completely in love with each other when they're seen and photographed in public. But it is no secret in Hollywood that they just as often have serious fights. 
things get so bad between them. There's one particular night when their son Redmond threatens to hurt himself in order just to get his parents to stop fighting. Ryan will write about this in his memoir, sharing this memory of his six-year-old son standing in the doorway of his parents' bedroom, holding a large knife while clad in Winnie the Pooh pajamas. And this kid says, I'm going to stab myself if you don't stop it. That is heartbreaking. Highly volatile relationship. Nobody's harmed in this incident. His parents do stop fighting, at least temporarily. I mean, the child's psyche, but yes, I see what you're saying. No, there's uh, poor Redmond, like poor all of these kids mm-hmm. stuck in the destruction of yeah. beautiful people, ugly choices. Until the later 1990s, it seemed Ryan and Fair were committed and had settled into some kind of normal for them, at least. They always claimed to have no plans to marry, but no plans to break up. Now's a great place. Take a quick break. Hear from our sponsors this week. Because when we come back, it potentially gets uglier. Back on the flip. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level. The who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting, if they have kids, what shapes their marriages, if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends. So for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on? Yeah, podcasts, homecasts. Your your, your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash trashy. Stacey, both you and I have benefited from therapy in our lives. And over the last couple years, I've appreciated my BetterHelp counselor so much. Therapy can be a little like scheduled maintenance on your car, keeping everything serviced to prevent bigger issues down the road, or like the quick check you do before making a big road trip. Making sure those tires are inflated and your fluids are topped up is not that unlike strategizing with your therapist to make the most of something stressful like a job interview. Think of therapy like routine maintenance for your emotional and mental wellness. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Trashy Divorces listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash trashy. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash trashy. So within the 70s, Farrah Fawcett, biggest sex symbol alive. And, And she spends that whole time trying to escape her status as a sex symbol. I'm just a normal girl. But by the 80s, she's trying to reclaim it. 
She will do a pictorial for Playboy when she's 48. Sells 4 million copies. It's the best-selling issue of the 1990s. Wow. Yeah. At 50, she'll do a Playboy videotape called All of Me. Little artistic bend here. She will slather her body in gold paint and roll around on canvas to make an art project. Who among us has not? It is in 1997 that Ryan and Farah go downhill. Now, I want to tell you that Ryan will cite several reasons for his breakup with Farah, beginning with menopause. His own? (laughs) Ryan O'Neill says, I believe Farah was going through some kind of change. I didn't have a change of life. I was always a jerk. (laughs) But they're hard work, these divas. I was sick of it, and I was unappreciated. I just don't think she liked me very much. Hard to believe. Now, I'm going to finish the rest of that quote in just a minute, because here's where I'm going to tell you it goes bad. On Valentine's Day, 1997, Farrah walks in on Ryan O'Neill in bed with a younger actress named Leslie Ann Stephenson. O'Neill has since described the incident this way. It was terrible. I didn't expect to see her down there. I tried to put my pants on, but I put both legs in one hole. Leslie dived under the covers. I thought Farrah was going to attack her, but she said, what's your name? Leslie said, Leslie, and Farrah walked out. Okay, now I'm going to finish the second part of this Mm -hmm. quote, because this is what makes it creepy. Okay, so back to Ryan. I I don't think she liked me much. So I excused myself, and I was lucky enough to meet this young girl. She was more a daughter to me than a lover. And my own daughter had flown the coop, so here was this replacement. (gasps) Oh, Ryan O'Neill. So gross. Mm -hmm. Ryan will continue to talk about how devastating this was for Farrah Fawcett. Ryan will say, I watched her life disintegrate. Because you're in bed with someone half her age on Valentine's Day, dude. No kidding. All right. Like, what do you do? Farah has some kind of break here, I uh, think. Uh, you think? <laughs> After this, Farah will date Canadian director and producer James Orr. This relationship was equally as tempestuous. She begins this relationship during the time one of his former girlfriends, James Orr's former girlfriends, accuses Fawcett of stealing $72,000 worth of clothing from James Orr's house, and destroying nude pictures of her worth $2,400. Okay, hold on. Because apparently Farrah's going through James Orr's trash outside. And James Orr says that Farrah discovered an envelope containing a woman's return address in the trash can. And he'll say she flew into a rage and started breaking my windows. He declines to press charges this night. But the following night, Farrah Fawcett is going to take her Louisville slugger and vandalize his house with a baseball bat, according to James Orr. When the police arrive, Farrah says they should arrest James for assault instead of arresting her for vandalism. In August of 1998, James Orr was convicted on one count of misdemeanor battery. Wow. This is just so strange because the origin there is like... 
Her early contracts had her coming home by 7 p.m. to cook dinner for her first husband, Old Grumphead. Right. Now we're smashing out windows with a Louisville slugger. I mean, geez. So again, this is from Leslie Bennett's. Contrary to many press accounts, blaming or however, quote, the offense had nothing to do with Miss Fawcett turning down any proposal of marriage, but rather with Miss Fawcett being extremely jealous and angry over a suspected relationship between Mr. Orr and another woman, which, based on the letters I have received, was non-existent, says Superior Court Judge Robert T. Altman at Orr's sentencing hearing in Santa Monica in October 1998. Amazing that there's a superior court judge at Santa Monica named Robert Altman. Right. Uh, <laughs> judge Altman says, My own conclusion is that Miss Fawcett precipitated the violence. She repeatedly kicked Mr. Orr's seat and grabbed him by the face when he was driving home from dinner. That she brought a baseball bat to Mr. Orr's house and during the course of the evening wielded that bat, a fireplace poker, and a heavy drum stand. When he didn't come out, Miss Fawcett trashed both his house and his car to the tune of over $22,000 in damages. Yikes. Okay. Judge Altman <laughs> gives or the minimum sentence allowed by law, including three years of probation, anger management classes, 100 hours of community service. But the story's not over yet. Because it is revealed. Oh my God, this is a done and done adjacent tie-in. This is terrible and great. Farrah Fawcett, back in the day, hired private detective Anthony Pelicano. Mm -hmm. Why did she hire him? She hired him in January, in or around January of 1998, to intercept telephone communications of James Orr. Okay. This is not healthy. No, this doesn't come out until Anthony Pelicano is having a trial in... 2008, where he is being brought up for all of his shady, shady dealings, James Orse has no idea this happened. He finds out about it because the court calls him back 10 years later like, hey, dude, BT Dubs, you were wiretapped. <laughs> Needless to say, I was shocked, James Orr says. Now I realize why Farah had hired Pelicano. On her behalf, he had been illegally wiretapping and recording conversations on my home phone, including privileged conversations with my attorney. That is so bizarre. Okay, whoa. Here's your fun spiderweb tie-in. Anthony Pelicano is the private investigator that Dominic Dunn hires to keep track of John Sweeney, his daughter's murderer, mm -hmm. when he was released from prison. He first reaches out to Pelicano to put a hit on John Sweeney. Dunn says, I was nuts at that time with rage and hate that the guy who strangled my daughter for five minutes until she was dead got out in two and a half years. I truly went through a period of wanting to hire somebody. I know it seems absurd now, but I worshipped my daughter. I just became obsessed with this guy getting out of prison. I wanted harm to come to him. So... Dominic Dunn goes to Anthony Pelicano, not expecting Anthony to actually commit the hired murder, but just to arrange it. But whatever Pelicano may have done in later years with wiretapping and racketeering, henceforth and so on, mm -hmm. in this instance, Anthony Pelicano does a really good deed. <laughs> Dunn 
goes to his office and he says it was like being in a B movie. But, you know, Pelicano had a sympathetic ear. He had followed, Pelicano had followed Dominique's case. And Dunn says he understood my feelings. He said something to the effect of, Dominic, you don't want to do this. He was so kind to me and I was willing to be talked out of it. Pelicano's an ex-cop who turned like Hollywood fixer PI. Is that kind of the story? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's infamous. Infamous. Mm. Dunn thinks that he simply had a fantasy common to parents who've lost a child to violent crime. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. He feels sure that he wouldn't have actually done it, so to speak, but Pelicano did agree to help him. So for a time after this, instead of killing John Sweeney, Anthony Pelicano will keep track of John Sweeney at the behest of Dominic Dunn. Dunn says his intent is to ensure that any girl that gets around John Sweeney has an idea of what he's done to his daughter. I'm here to warn you. Dunn, at this time, though, in the 80s, not able to keep up a daily private investigator. Pelicano's nice. He's like, Dominic, you can't afford me, but I'll keep my eye on him for you. And he does, right? Every so often they talk just with, here's what's up, and I've got you, Dominic. Isn't that a nice sort of talk me out of murder and keep an eye on it for me, too? Yeah, I mean, for the guy who goes on to commit wire fraud. (laughs) Well, in December 2008, Pelicano was sentenced to 15 years in prison for what U.S. District Judge Dale Fisher describes as reprehensible behavior. But on the night before Pelicano goes to prison, Dominic Dunn gets a phone call from Anthony Pelicano to say goodbye. Isn't that nice? I suppose so. I don't know. Weird, trashy spiderweb (laughs) world, y'all. Anytime I can get in a Dominic Dunn yeah, story. I, you know I'm going to. So Dominic Dunn got talked out of murder by the guy who was wiretapping Farrah Fawcett's boyfriend mm-hmm. to get dished for the court trial. Anyway. James Orr, out. <laughs> Farrah's public behavior, though, does become a topic of magazines and talk shows. She'll make appearances, maybe intoxicated, maybe showing the effects of drugs. One of the most famous of these is her appearance on The Late Show with David Letterman in 1997. The wholesome all-American image is kind of gone. Now, Ryan O'Neill says she didn't need substances. I couldn't get her to smoke a joint. I was the pothead. She was one of those people who flossed every night and took care of herself. When I saw her on Letterman, I thought she was acting. She was selling Playboy magazine, and she thought she was being Playmate-ish. Their son also becomes the subject of tabloid headlines when he begins to get into some legal trouble. Redmond had been arrested several times for drug possession and minor crimes. He'll be incarcerated at the time of Farrah's passing, but receives a furlough to attend her funeral in a prison jumpsuit and wearing handcuffs to be one of her pallbearers. Mm. Ryan O'Neill will discuss their son's problems, saying one of us here, Farrah, should have been the grown up. Instead, we were two single minded people who gave in to our baser impulses. Our moral compass had become submerged in a sea of ego and confusion, and our sweet little boy would bear the brunt of the corrosion. They bust up, 1997. But upon Ryan O'Neill being diagnosed with leukemia, they reunite in 2001. Five years later, 
Farah will be diagnosed with cancer and ultimately loses her battle to it three years after her diagnosis. Were they together during that period? Yes. Okay. Controversially, Farah and her friend Alana Stewart, who was caring for her, also ex-wife of Rod Stewart. Mm, right, right. Alana will document Farah's illness and her many treatments during her battle with cancer. A lot of people criticize that as exploitive. Farrah Fawcett dies on June 25th, 2009 with Ryan O'Neill and Alana Stewart with her. In a normal time, this would have been the focus of the news cycle. However, just a few hours after Farrah's passing, it was announced that Michael Jackson had also died that day just a few miles away. I forgot those events had overlapped. The bonkers media coverage surrounding Michael Jackson's death completely dominated the news and overshadowed Farrah's death completely, I think. After her death, there is a battle over her estate, and it is revealed in this court battle that Farrah had likely rekindled a romance with one of her college boyfriends, a guy named Greg Lott, in 1998, after she split from Ryan. Greg Lott claims that he and Farrah dated for the last 11 years of her life, but had chosen to keep that relationship private and a big fat secret from Ryan O'Neill. The validity of their relationship status was detailed in a court battle regarding ownership of a very famous and valuable Andy Warhol portrait of Farrah Fawcett. Trashy art. Ryan O'Neill negates Lott's claims, saying he had no evidence of the relationship, not even any pictures that showed the pair acting like a couple. In testimony, Greg Lott says that Ryan O'Neill would not allow him to see Farrah in her final days. He said... He kept me from seeing the love of my life before she died. Photos don't make a relationship. I know what I had with her. He didn't have that. He blew it. Now, in her will, Farah will leave $80,000 to Greg Lott. She does not leave any money to Ryan O'Neill. The court in this case will rule in Ryan O'Neill's favor. A very trashy get-together. A very trashy breakup. A very, very trashy love story. Alana Stewart says she has always been the real love of his life and he has always been the love of her life. I don't know at what price love. Yeah, it doesn't seem... There's that thing about, you know, leaving something better than when you found it. Doesn't necessarily seem like they left each other better than when they found each other. That went dark places. I've avoided doing Ryan O'Neill just because it was going to go dark places. Yeah, but absolutely. It seemed like a good week to. Well, and, and completing the Farrah Fawcett sort of circle. Circle of trash. It's a circle of trash. Yeah, I would say that's a very sad story. It's honestly. a terribly sad story. Mm-hmm. Terribly sad story. Well, there you are. Midweek uplift from <laughs> us to you. <laughs> hey, you can always listen to Love Letters too if you oh. need to uplift your mood a little. There you go. We got done and done, new season out as well. So thanks everybody for tuning in to this episode. We're going to be back on Sunday with two new brand new Trashy Divorces for you. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, we're coming out with uh, Trashy Romanovs on Patreon as well as Nightcap Chat this week. Always something shaking down here in TDHQ. Yep. Oh yeah, and don't forget the bit.ly slash trash candy link does mm-hmm. have some free episodes for you, including the inspiration for midnight plane to houston 
Yep. So if you need a little extra to get you through to the weekend, we got you covered. Goodness, y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in. You're the very best. Until we talk to you again. Keep your hands clean. Oh, keep those hearts trashy. We'll see you soon. Big love, y'all. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.